the reality is like when I've talked to, I want to say kids, but I'm not that much older than college kids. But yeah, when I talk to kids coming to computer science, well, you're almost twice as old as them. So actually, that's, that's true. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 384 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm the webs programmer. I'm Sam and I'm the artist. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is October 6th, 2020. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be curses, swears, and profanes in this uh, show. So uh, I hope you, I hope you like that kind of stuff because it's coming. And if you're a child, uh, we're supposed to say it. you're not supposed to listen, but we know you're we know you're going to do that. Good. Yeah. Also, across 384 episodes where we mention profanity, we have to at some point talked about what fanity is by itself. But I have no recollection of this, and I suddenly became curious. I think mm, we actually as have, in, I think we definitely pro, have. Are you profanity? You know. Yeah. What's the yeah, because what's, what's the fanity? Fanity? Fanes are just words, and profanes are the, those are the high degree, more professional words. That's what it that, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, there you go. Uh, that really they, they they pack the most punch, yep. and they're the most versatile. Mm-hmm. You know, got it. Um, you're not supposed to use them because it's just intimidating to people because your words are too good, uh, and it's kind of like showing off. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's like. You don't want to. You don't want to always be the best dressed person everywhere you go because it makes everybody else feel like they now have to dress up. You know, mm-hmm. it's like that, but with words. Totally. Uh, we'd we'd also like to thank our recurring supporters over at MoneyGrab.Bscotch.Net. Uh, thanks everybody for for the recurring donations to help us keep our pods uh, uh, insulated, uh-huh. keep them toasty. Sure. I don't know. What's you know, good you gotta get those. It's those koozies probably. for your mic to Ooh, yeah. keep them warm. Is that what that is? Mm-hmm. Adam's got one. Yeah, I think that's what that's for. That was my understanding. Because it gets you know it gets cold up here in the winter, so you got to keep its little little you naked do. head nice and uh, baby head on it. Yeah. Now I saw in the footage of Hurricane Ian that one of the reporters was putting a condom on her microphone uh, to mm. keep it dry, which is actually pretty brilliant because you know the sound can still go through, no problem. It's just a mm. thin you know latex layer. But, also readily available anywhere you gotta go, but you know, a Ziploc bag feels like it might be an easier. It's probably too thick, uh, but a microphone. You know? I mean, is perfect shape to put yeah, a condom right. on. You're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. you're not wrong. And you probably need that like a thin stretch membrane. And it's not gonna to, crinkle like a true. Ziploc bag. Well, it also needs to vibrate, so it actually carries the vibration of the speech yeah. through. You know, so brilliant. So yeah. Kudos so apparently, like apparently, she like footage of her like in this hurricane with this like condom microphone went around the internet. People like this is crazy, and then she did like a follow up segment where she was talking about that. Yes, that is indeed what's on my microphone, but it works great. So <laughs> yeah, probably does. You know? uh, but you don't want the lubricated ones nope. because then you know you're in a hurricane. There's a lot of wind. You know, that microphone will just fly right out of your hand. <laughs> zip right out of your hand and it's gone because 150 mile per hour winds and it's over. So. <laughs> Uh, ideally, you know, non-lubricated, ribbed. Yeah, ribbed mm-hmm. so you can yeah, microphone cover. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> uh, anyways, so for today's episode, we're just going to go right into questions because uh, pretty sure we didn't do any last time. Yeah. Um, Though we aren't 100% things- sure because we're having some trouble with our brains and time. And then we, we looked at the first question for this week and we were like, did, did we, we do questions? Did we answer that last week? <laughs> we're pretty sure we didn't. Yeah. But no, and there's just no way to sure. know. There's nope. there's literally no way to check. There's no way so to find we so we're just gonna we're going all in here. We're just gonna see what happens. Okay. <laughs> uh, so these questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net, uh, where people can also upvote questions and you know push things to the top. So we're just gonna go down the list. So highest upvoted question comes from Fly Hoppy Axe Rampa, who says, "Seth, you once referred to Levelhead as your baby and said that." If the business could have supported it, you would have worked on level head indefinitely. Do any of you bros ever feel the urge to just make more level head content? I mean, yeah, always, because like it, it is fun. Yep. <laughs> yep. It already exists, you know, and mm-hmm. people are playing it. So it's, it's always way more gratifying to add stuff to a game that people are already enjoying. Mm-hmm. Uh, the audience is already there. You yeah, working in a dev cave. Uh, is it gets very tiring after a while because I think mm-hmm. you feel like you lose you lose all sense of reference for like what's good and what's not because you don't have an audience who's constantly reacting to it. So it's, yeah, it's 
it's very fun to to work on that stuff. I think the problem is, and we, we've had this in the past with other games we've worked on, where there's a problem where if at some point the business case for it just doesn't make any sense at all, you know, necessarily to continue putting more time into it, which happened with, you know, some of our free-to-play games, stuff like that at some point. Um, but it's still the easiest thing for you to do and very gratifying because there mm-hmm. are people playing it. You have this really kind of bizarre, challenging mental state you have to walk, right? Because it's like, yeah, technically, well, it's, it's enjoyable, but and it it feels safe, right? Mm-hmm. Because like you've got an audience, you've got a product. It's cheap. It's one of the cheapest things to yeah. do is to add content add to content. a game that now already has a you know is already fleshed out, and you've got people um, asking you for it, you know. So like you also want yeah. to you want to feel like you're delivering stuff that people want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course it's it's far more fraught to you know take several years to come up with a whole new thing work on it for a long time with nobody seeing it. Uh, and then launch and then, into an uncertain market. Yeah. Uh, in a market that's, you know, different than it was when you started because it's been years, right? I mean, everything about making a new thing is just so much more emotionally challenging and financially, I would say financially risky because, you know, if it you is. make stuff for, a, if you make stuff for a game that's already been out and you're not coming up with ways to monetize the new stuff that you're adding, mm-hmm. then that's it's not financially risky. It's so, just guaranteed that you're just going to lose money, which is not a risk per yeah, se. Because the risk is guaranteed. On the context, you know. So because if you take take, I think a good example actually is Terraria because they just launched yeah, an update just, last week. Yeah. So Terraria, it's been what 15 years that it's since it's it came out, the or something like that. I don't know. It's it's really old. Maybe not that old, but at least 10 years. Uh, and there have been various points along its journey where they were like, that's it. That's, that's the last update. We're going to go work on something else. And for a while they were working on Terraria too. Right. And then that kind of just disappeared. Right. And then they had that, they had this journey's end update, which is the last one I remembered. And I hadn't paid attention since so it was like a year or two ago. Because they were like, it's done now. Yeah. Which my understanding was, yeah, it was like literally the end, you know, <laughs> yeah. they were done now. It seemed like a wrap up. Yeah, and then they just released this new huge update last week, right? And the whole time they're doing this, like the game is still the same price I think it was like ten. It's like ten bucks, right? It's on sale all the time. It's cheap on mobile. It's on everything, right? And and so like every time they release an update, it's just to their existing users, really. Um, but they have so many new users always constantly coming in because the game is so popular and. They just have infinite money. And yeah, to, they've made like a well over a quarter of a billion dollars in a while. <laughs> yeah. So it's like yeah. at that point. They have 40 million sales yeah. is what they said in their last update, right? So so that's a, that's a lot. That is a lot. And so and when you made that many sales like Steam or wherever your game is, like they're going to keep showing it to people. You oh, yeah. Know? It's, a, it's a super it, successful game. And, and but, also they're kind of – there's like algorithmic things. So, you know, if you patch your game, players come back. If you've got 40 million players, you know, a lot of them come back. Uh, that pushes your game up the charts and more people see it, right? And so there are ways to generate additional sales off of an already free extremely content. successful game. Yeah. yeah. But it only works if you aren't trying for the growth model, which is hard to avoid under uh, under our capitalist structures, right? But especially if you have business partners and stuff like companies because everyone's always pushing towards growth. Because what most companies would do with a windfall, like a startup style, right? Is they would they'd start hiring up, they'd start scaling up, right? And so as all their costs go up, the runway gets short, and then all of a sudden it is a risk to make the next thing, or it is a risk to continue working on it. however it balances out, right? But in the case of like the Terraria team, if you stay just how you were, basically, mm-hmm. then there's just there's no risk to, to continue to continue along that path, whether you're making a new thing or not. You can just get to kind of make any decision you want to because they all have the same outcome as far as it matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with, yeah, with their if they've got like 10 people on their team, you know, they could pay each person a million dollars a year and they that could sustain them until they all retire. Just, <laughs> yeah. just you know, <laughs> it would be fine. Uh, they, they probably aren't because that, you know, that's not really how things go, how things happen normally. But, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, because there, yeah, there is, there is that level of success where, where it's not, it, it would be, Hard to measure how much additional revenue is generated by them releasing these patches, right? Mm-hmm. And and whether that's like cost effective compared to what else they could do. But you're right. There's a certain point where the numbers are so big that who gives a shit? Just yeah. do, just do whatever, you know. Yeah, uh, I think there's there's also a tendency, and I know I had this definitely early on, which was like I think there's a, a want to not necessarily be 
a studio that's defined by just a title or like mm-hmm. a franchise. There's something that feels, I think initially when you start out, feels like that would be, um, you know, somehow limiting. Yeah, somehow a sellout. Yeah, or a sellout. Yeah, where you're like kind of mining the same vein, you know, over and over. Creatively bankrupt. Yeah, yeah. But I think as as we've gotten further into it, you know, I think my realization has been that like most creatives never even get to have one thing that people give yeah. a shit about. So if you have one and you enjoy it and it works great and you can see ways of, you know, basically evolving it over time. I think like God of War, I think it's like my favorite one to kind of look at from a overall trajectory standpoint. Cause it's like, you know, the, the base like spirit of the thing is the same as it has always been. But as far as like an evolutionary thing, you look at that, it's like, it's not just the same, it's not the same game, you know, five times or how many times it is now. Um, mm-hmm. It's sort of like the next skilled up variant of the game based on the team's new technical skills and like a new slightly new direction for it. And it's sort of a constantly evolving thing. And so I think if you, you know, if you land in a space like that, that's fucking, that's, that's great. And it, it actually makes a lot of things simpler on the business side and everything else. And so I get it. I think when, you know, when we started out, it's like, I didn't want to ever make a sequel, you know, to anything, to be honest, but as we've got. And it's such a, in retrospect, it is such a strange stance to take because if you think about weird, the things that the things that you enjoy, you know, like you read a great book and you're thinking like, is there another one? <laughs> is there is there a fall? Is there is this a series? Oh man, I hope this is a series, right? Uh, or you you know, if I think about some of my favorite games, they're these long standing franchises. Even like Rocket League was a follow up to supersonic rock air, acrobatic rocket powered mm-hmm. battle cars or whatever, right? Um, and, and it, it's, it's pretty rare to have something that gets made is incredibly successful and then it's over, right? There's no, no follow-up, no, no franchise, no sequel, no anything. Uh, and, and what I think is cool about what we've kind of learned with working on Crash Dance 2 is that you actually get to spend a lot of time exploring as opposed to like reinventing and resolving already solved problems, you know? Um, and so, like, when it comes to say, Crashlands 2, uh, compared to the original Crashlands, in the original game, we had to think about, like, the concept of build mode, mm-hmm. where you could, like, enter into this mode to, like, build your your base, right? Um, and we had to spend so much time just figuring out, like, what does that mean and how do we convey it and all of that stuff. And, and, that, and what is the laundry list of all the things we have to consider the impact on? with each design choice we make with respect to build mode, right? The, yeah. door, the door problem problem that yeah. we, you know, spent so much time thinking through it for initial design and then and then actually building that and then discovering, oh, we didn't think about this thing, now we have to add, right? So we already did all this iteration on, even because even, we went down a different path this time, same vibe, right? But different mechanisms, right? But we yeah. got to start having already got, just already with a whole bunch of now sort of known knowns, right? And knowing we also have fewer unknowns because we just kind of explored that space already. So you can now, we can now just iterate on it in a new context and kind of have some expectations about what that will mean. Mm-hmm. I think in particular, yeah. you could push further, you know, on things that you could, you barely got, you have to just barely get them to a point of being able to get it all working and stuff, uh, oftentimes in original context. And then you get to start with that as the baseline. Like, okay, yeah, we, we yeah. know how this can work because we have so much good reference material from the original. So what's the next stuff that we could not do at the time? That we couldn't even dream of doing at the time because like it just wasn't an option. I think that's that's where it gets exciting to me as far as continued work on a particular product, not necessarily even you know going into a sequel territory, but even additional content or DLCs and stuff like that. There's always stuff to explore. And you know, Levelhead is the most modular thing we built by far in terms of being able to deliver stuff, but... Uh, which is why it's so exciting to think about working on it. Um, you know, it's it's a highly generated. Any, it's like adding a language, adding a, a letter to the link, the language. You know, it's like it doesn't just. It's not just like an isolated thing that does only one little bit. It spawns like a ton of new experiences and stuff for for players. And yeah, yeah. That's and of hard. course, there's also like new traps that you can set for yourself. Like one of the things that we're that we're learning with Crash Nets Two compared to the original is is the original had a pretty um, kind of monolithic progression concept. Right, where like you had you had a tier of content that was basically represented by a workstation. So you'd build your you build your crafting station, and it would have a batch of recipes in it, and those would be the recipes that kind of represented what you needed to craft to power yourself up for the next tier of content. Right, and they matched with the sort of geography that you had moved into and the the yeah 
creatures that were present and their difficulty level, that kind of stuff. So it all yeah. was just kind of neatly. And finished. we also just like hard gated stuff for the most part, right? Yeah. We're like, Everything. like if you didn't have a saw, you know, that was the saw for chopping squee plants, then you 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 would click on them and you just get a message that's like, your saw isn't good enough to chop that. You right? literally couldn't get, um, there was no way for you to get them. Yeah. No so, so it's, you know, it's very much kind of like, on rails and as we added content to the game those mm-hmm. those questions were just resolved right whenever we, we were going to add a new tier of content for the next like phase of a zone um we already knew what we needed right we needed the armor we needed the weapons we needed a tool we needed a thing to harvest with the tool you know all of that um and so it became a very kind of like formulaic kind of progression right and still still fun and still interesting but from a design standpoint, it was it was very simple for us to to add stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what what we missed though was was uh, this like deep complexity and lateral progression, right? Because you kept kind of moving upward, and there wasn't a lot of of flexibility in like exploring out to the sides, like choosing your own path and like going and doing weird stuff, because it always felt like you were doing that instead of moving up. Right. And so, uh, so like psychologically there wasn't a, there wasn't a big reason for us to go in and add those things because players would be more likely to just progress through the, the core of the progression. Right. So in Crashlands 2, there's a lot more of these like complex relationships between, um, between lateral paths, which is really cool. But from a design perspective, it's, it's, it's very different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so we're having to spend a lot of time developing tools for ourselves to be able to understand and visualize how these things connect together. And our tools are still falling short of that. Like we have some really cool stuff that we've made, but it's still pretty hard for us to kind of get a full picture of exactly how everything fits together because things can fit together in so many mm-hmm. intricate and interesting ways. Um and so that's kind of like the new trap that we've laid for ourselves in Crashlands Two. Uh, I think it's you know it, I think it, it makes for uh, a, like a much more robust and interesting kind of gameplay experience, but it is a whole new way of designing, right? Yeah, it's also about choosing so, your problems, right? Because in the original, any new content we added naturally would be behind some part of the progression gate, which meant that mm-hmm. players would either be already beyond it because they'd progress past, or they wouldn't be able to access it, which is always annoying and you're gonna have that to a degree of course with any content you make but in a game that's very very progression oriented in a straight and narrow sort of path it gets it's actually very very complicated to add new content to it in a way that uh is enjoyable for any for someone along like the whole sort of tier of starting start to end versus part of the idea with the more broad and lateral design of Crashlands 2 is that you can basically actually allows us to continue working on the game in a easier capacity you know, in a post-launch world where it's like, oh yeah, we can add a whole bunch of stuff and um, it'll be interesting for people to get, hopefully more interesting for people to get kind of across the board as opposed to only at certain moments in their playthrough. So, yep. Yeah. And it's, it's much more open, you know, it's, it's a lot less about like having like, cause even in the, in the original game, you know, we had the quest log where we had like the main story line that was kind of highlighted in your quest log. Um, so that you always knew, and this is, this is something that you'll see if you look at people talking to each other about, what do I do? What do I do next in crash? And it's like, I just did this thing. What do I do next? And people always be like, just go to your quest log and follow the main story. Mm-hmm. Right. There's always one answer to what do I do? It's the next, other one that is, matters basically. Yeah. Because right? of progression. Yeah. 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 And everything else is do, cool. You know, oh, yeah. Cause there's, yeah. Cause there's other, there's side quests and there's just stuff you can just go do. You can go build your base. Right. But it all, it all feels like. Those are just, I don't know. It doesn't feel like those are things you should be doing, you know? So like. Yeah, because they're side quests. They're on the side, you know? They're not the main thing, right? They're too clearly Um, side quests, I guess. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, we want, we want to get away from, we want things to feel more open and more player directed where, where you have lots of things you, you can do and all of them lead you down viable and interesting paths, you know? Um, and there, there are different story threads happening all around the world and you can kind of like go engage with them and, and they're, and they're going to be, you know, they're, they're less gated, right. In the sense that like, they're not progression, you know, basically it's the weird thing, right? Yeah. 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 Or at least like, not in the same sense, right. Cause there's still the same sense. Yeah. Yeah. There's still things that you like 
because things have to happen, you know, in some kind of order, right? Because that's just <laughs> yeah. how causality works, right? Uh, and so, yeah. like, that'll still, that's still there, but it's less of like, okay, you do this, then you do this, then you do this. But it could be, you know, oh, there's like three different ways you can end up having sufficient, putting yourself into a scenario where you can then yeah. talk to this person about this thing or whatever, right? Uh, or, you know, you can bypass a whole bunch of stuff altogether. And while that might make things a little difficult for you because you just like skipped a whole bunch of stuff and now you have like only shitty things or something, right? Like mm-hmm. you could still try to chip away at something that you stumble into when you probably shouldn't have, right? Uh, so yeah. it's less of just like an aggressive you can or can't and more of a, oh, there's lots of ways you can, you can choose. You can choose to try, right? And it's not just you try and you can't or you try and you can, but it's, you try and there's a huge range of outcomes of like your ability to actually do the thing that you're trying to do. Yep. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been pretty fun kind of working on this sequel thing, man. Like, yeah, as, as much as we would love to just kind of, honestly, you know, if you go all the way back, like it would have been great if we could have just kept adding stuff to Quadrupus Rampage, you know? Yeah. Like, cause that we is also grants. pretty, <laughs> yeah, that is also a pretty modular game, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it still has but, a lot of people playing it. It does, yeah. Like a lot. It does, yeah. It's it's still the case that sometimes uh it's like when I'm when I'm playing WoW with my guild mates, I don't I don't really talk a lot about, you know, what I do. And usually when I first meet people, I just tell them like, oh yeah, I'm I'm a programmer, I'm a, or I'm a software engineer, right? Yeah, I work in tech. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then like at some point, sometimes they do find out what I do. And every now and then somebody will be like, Oh, what games have you made? You know, and I'll be like, Oh, well, the the Couple that like have probably gotten the most traction would be like, you know, Crashlands, Quadrupus Rampage. And every now and then somebody would be like, Oh, Quadrupus Rampage. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah. And actually, and Crash, yeah, because they, they both like had, had enough traction that uh, people people will know about them, you know, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. And and it would have been great if we could have just keep working on them, but yeah. nope, got to move on at some point. So, yeah. Uh, our next question comes from Beaky Baba Boop, who says, I'm looking at going to college, and I'm wondering what your opinions are on computer science degrees and game design degrees. Are they worth it? Is it better to do the former because it creates a better sea of job opportunities? Computer science. Is it better to do the latter if that's what I'm passionate about? Would you even recommend either of those as a career, knowing what you know? Mm. This is very tricky. Uh, Context so, is very... Yeah, the first... The mo- the only real answer here, but then we can get into like some you know off the cuff things. But yeah. but mm-hmm. the only real answer Fake. is yeah. it completely depends on the programs themselves. As in, yeah. like, there's actually not such a thing as a computer science degree or a game design degree, right? As a standardized concept. As a standardized concept, there is like sure you end up with a piece of paper at the end that has some combination of words like that on it, right? But the thing you're actually there for is to learn about and how to understand and do something, right? And any given institution is going to have a different set of of people managing those departments and those courses and those programs. So I think the thing that's really risky about game game related stuff um, as programs in college is that remember colleges are businesses, right? And they are trying to sell you something. Right, mm-hmm. they're and they're competing with each other. So as soon as game development started to become a much more just widespread, but also possible thing with the rise of all these like engines that let you get in with a much lower hurdle, and with the rise of all these places where you can just publish your games to, right, without all the gatekeepers and stuff. So with that came this huge sea of people who wanted to make games, and so colleges started to make programs, right. But what they tended to do was just like grab somebody from their computer science department who was like Mm -hmm. maybe into it a little bit, but had never made games, but was like could program. And they were like, hey, build our game design program, right? And there there are a few programs out there that are actually like they've tried to poach people from AAA, like industry people, right? But the problem is, is that like academia pays so terribly, that just keeps getting worse. And tech pays so well. That there are so few people who have like found success in, in the jump, basically, and yeah, in the games industry who would like who are actually in academia currently because also hasn't been long enough to have like a huge sea of like retired people or whatever, right? So, so the end result has been when I have talked to people who have completed game development and game design programs, for the most part, when they talked about like what they learned and what they did, 
uh, it was just woefully insufficient to set them up meaningfully. And I'm not even talking about just like being able to get a job because that's there's like kind of two problems here, right? Because a degree is also that you end up with that's also now a business thing where you're trying to sell yourself and your degree to an employer, right? Mm -hmm. And that's also disconnected from reality in the same way that a program is from like a degree name is from the actual program itself. And so there's kind of two separate questions here, right? One is like getting a job and the other one is feeling like you're actually prepared to do what you're trying to do, right? Mm -hmm. And so remember that those are literally disconnected. There's just no connection there. Um, and so you have to pay really close attention to what it is you're trying to do and how much more important it is to you to either like actually know how to do that thing versus mm -hmm. get a job doing that thing. Because, you know, you can learn stuff on the job and you can, you can figure stuff mm -hmm. out, right? And pick that path accordingly. So just from a strategic perspective, um, you got to know what you're trying to do. And it really, really, really depends on your institution. Like as a good example, when I went to college, I wanted to be an, an aeronautical engineer, right? That was my mm. initial I remember that. dream, yeah. right? Yeah. And the top, my top two choices were huge engineering schools or MIT and Caltech, right? And I didn't get into them, but I got into my third choice, which was University of Chicago. So University of Chicago, it's like the joke is that it's all theoretical, nothing is applied. That's the whole, that's the whole, it's, it's about, it's about how to think, not how to do, right? That's the whole joke, right? Um, which turned out was perfect for me and I loved it. Um, but all of a sudden <laughs> I got to college and like, and they didn't have like an engineering program, right? They didn't have the things that mm. I thought I needed to set myself up. And so I was just like, okay, well, now that I'm here though, what can I do in this context that will get me the most prepared to do something, right? And so I just kind of did like a general purpose science stuff, right? And then ended up choosing biology specifically because I was just into it. But like really kind of branching out and just like doing lots of weird math and doing lots of just weird stuff, right? Because I was, my goal is to say, I just want to learn how to think about lots of stuff so that I don't have to come in being like just counting on my degree program, like to mm -hmm. see me through the next part. And so it's really hard to separate like the dream of, oh, I want to be an X, right? From the practical reality of, of college not actually providing that for anybody. It's not actually yeah, it's not for, a right? super. It's not a super standard pathway ever. No. Basically, I think, especially into games. Um, yeah, yeah so especially think, in games. Yeah. So my my context free version of this uh, in terms of advice. Yeah. Which is Without knowing like, the programs available to you. Yeah. If I don't know what program I'm going to, don't know um, what college it is. Also, don't even know exactly what you're trying to do. But in general, my my hot take here's. Here's my hot take on game design degrees. I think that if you were to study a particular skill-based job in the industry, so say programming um, or art or basically some of the hard points of where the rubber has to meet the road in terms of the things that you're designing have to become a thing that can go into the game, right? Yep. Um, I think if you were to choose to study one of those things as uh, kind of a foremost thing, and then consider your other time spent on basically expansive, you know, looking around at how just things work in general. So taking a, a more broad array of, of classes in just stuff. Yeah, um, that's the main thing. Do a, a true liberal arts degree as it was like meant to be, right? As yeah. In, and, I, and that's like, yeah, I, I, I truly like deep dove into the sciences, right? But I, like, I did a broad array of that stuff. Like the end result was I didn't come out as a biologist. I came out as a statistics, deep biology, physics, you know, like I came up with like the ultimate of nerds, right? And was well, able to just like plow through something. But uh, but I read tons of stuff about everything else too while I was there, right? So it was like mm -hmm. psychology, so like just anything. And all three of us did really wide amounts of learning, whether self-directed or through taking lots of courses or both, right? Um, and but none of it was computer science. None yeah, of it was... Yeah art and none of it was game design. <laughs> yeah. So, but this is what I'm kind of, kind of getting at, which is like, I think taking that really broad, a broad view of just stuff you are interested in. Um, and then the best degree that I could recommend for games is to just do game jams. I'm not even kidding. Like Seth and I, when we taught our, our, um, our class at WashU, you know, we, we basically realized that if, if our students just did a weekend game jam, like our 48 hour one, say one or in the, in like at maximum in like pairs, um, you're getting a semester's worth of schooling in that uh, 48 hours. And it sounds weird because like, you're like, oh, but it's self-directed and like, blah. And yes, but also- um, but It's learning free, by doing. It's learning by doing. And there's just, it's just, I can't even quite describe how 
how much more impactful if you were to do like literally a game jam every semester with some hard skills that you're learning in the background, so whether it's programming art, whatever. Um, and then while you're taking like while you're taking some classes in just other random cool stuff that you're interested in, um, you'd come out and to Adam's point, you come out a very unique candidate for any mm-hmm. given job. And that's a much easier position to actually be in at the end of the day, I think, than uh, being a only only a candidate of like game design or comp sci or whatever else. Cause no one actually, I don't want to say no one cares, but like the, the degree gets, gets you, it's like the threshold pass, but only vaguely in the industry. Like, you know, if yeah, you're it, it depends on how much is valued. Right. Cause I think the thing about a computer science degree, it's like I said, this is all disconnected from reality. Right. So a computer science degree, especially from a prestigious institution just makes it easy to get a job independent of what, if anything, you know about programming, right? Yes. Um, because a computer science degree is assumed to be a, a stand-in, a, you know, a proxy for your ability to basically do computer stuff, which then for some reason only becomes focusing on programming because that's that's the useful thing to do to that most people have access to when they come out with those, right? It's the profitable thing to do. It's the profitable <laughs> thing to do, yeah. So, yeah and, that's, and that's where the job market is, um, is yep. that, that huge group. Um, the reality is, like when I've talked to... I want to say kids, but I'm not that much older than college kids. But, you know, when I talk to kids coming to computer science, well, you're almost twice as old as them. So actually, that's, that's true. Actually, <laughs> they are kids. So when I talk to when I talk yeah, to kids coming out of uh, computer science programs, the thing that tends to almost be universally true is they actually don't learn like the practical tools for how to build software, and especially not with a team, right? No. Um, but you walk away though with this computer science degree that out in the world, out in the in the job market. Um, people just use those proxies, right? Mm-hmm. And so that can work. When it comes to something like game design or game development, those are too young of academic programs for institutions that you're trying to go into to like just look at that and be like, oh, this person must like actually be good at they this. They must know right? their shit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and especially because like, and again, because like the, like the institution you go to, it, it itself is a standard for a proxy for how good your program is and so on and so forth, right? But also individual programs, if they are well-established and like the people and there are well-known, right? Also can create a name for themselves where somebody sees like, oh, you went to this program with that school and then had that professor as your thesis advisor. Like if they know all of that, then like the, the proxy signal keeps getting stronger and stronger, right? But similarly, it gets weaker and weaker the less they know and the less standardized some kind of a program is. So I think the risk of like just literally doing game design or game development is that out in the market, the job market, nobody will actually know what to do with that as a proxy. And so- it doesn't really then, work very well as like... Yeah, and then I think experientially in the actual program itself, I yeah. do think that my, again, hot take, very few programs are actually giving you what I think you're probably wanting, right? Which mm-hmm. is to be able to do those things really effectively. Typically, yeah, they... either make your own games and run your own business or, yeah. or go out in the industry as, a, as an employee. Yeah, no, no programs can do that. I, no, they like, can't. Yeah, take, that's not what they're for. Yeah. My take on it on this is, is you, you get out what you put in mm-hmm. uh, and... If you're getting a game design degree, you're not putting, you're not going to be putting in the things that game design actually requires because mm-hmm. game design is all about, it's, it's about integrating a huge number of disciplines, yeah. right? So that's, you need to understand like narrative structures, you need to understand psychology and even things like economic growth models and like how, how things, like how to model, how to take take real things and turn them into simplified models, which is like economics, right? You also know uh, about storytelling. You know about, yeah. Yeah, you know about product. Yeah, yeah, there's storytelling, music, writing, cinematography. Yeah. Like these are all the things that come together to make a game. Mm-hmm. Game design is just the act of putting them together, yeah. right? But if you don't have ex- a baseline of experience and knowledge in those different domains and, and what you have is a game design degree, then you're not going to be, a, you're not going to be able to communicate effectively uh, your ideas, and you're not necessarily going to have the the foundational knowledge to pull from to integrate your ideas into into a functional game experience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't and, need to be an expert in all of those things, right? But no, but, but you got to know some stuff. Yeah, the, the beauty right? of a liberal arts college degree is that you have access, in theory, right, to people and the programs they've put together, the learning programs they've put together. Uh, to learn a wide, wide array of interesting stuff, right? You remember that creature from Adventure Time who's trying to jump on Finn, misses at one point, and then he says, I have approximate knowledge of many things. Yeah, that <laughs> that's to me what is you want to be. That's like, yeah. yeah, I think if you want to... If you want to make video games, like for real, for real, I think that's that's a really useful way to think about it. And that doesn't mean that like a degree program is, is bad. I think to the, 
really underlying point that all of us are saying is that if that's the thing you are solely relying on, uh, you will be left empty-handed because what it actually requires is a lot of supplemental knowledge from other fields. And so sometimes it may be just easier to focus on those other fields and do high impact versions of game design mm-hmm. learning, which is game chances. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing that teaches you how to make games is making games. Yep. That's, that's yep. in my mind, that's the only thing that you can use to learn how to make games. Kind of like, uh, kind of like if you want to become a great artist, can you do that by taking a course on art and taking some tests and like reading a bunch about art? No, you got to put the, the pen to the mm-hmm. paper. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have to do that a shitload for a, a long time. Um, and what it is that you're then integrating into that is your understanding of the world around you and color theory and like you're learning about perspective and all these other it's things. your right? unique is, take, right? Which is like, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah you, you don't want your, your only uniqueness, quote unquote, your only take to be sort of the, the stamp of how uh, to put paint on a canvas, right? It's like the, you got to f- brew something interesting in yourself so that when you go to express it through design or whatever else, that it is something that could have only been made by by you given that context and i think then then you start hitting on some really fun magical territory and and i and i will take a a bolder stance here and i'll say that in many cases a game design degree is worse than nothing because it's not free yes you 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 may have to go into debt you will have to go into game design degree and i think that I think that your prospects of getting a job with a game design degree uh, don't really mean anything unless you have a portfolio of games that you have made mm-hmm. uh, and worked on, which you can do without a game design degree, right? So that, at that point, the game design degree doesn't really need to be there because you've already proven it with your portfolio. So uh, given that like college, well, I guess it depends where you live, right? <laughs> if, you're, if you're in the U.S., college has a cost, uh, a financial cost. A life it, debt. And yeah, in many cases, it's a long-term debt, and you have you do need to think about possible earning potential, um, and and like what happens if you know because game game dev careers can be pretty fraught with overwork and underpay and high demand for jobs that are hard to get right, and so you know having something having a a degree in something that is more broadly applicable allows you to kind of weather those storms right. So that you can, if you need to, uh, go somewhere, you know, make good money doing something, um, you know, as a backup plan, basically, right? Because like, I have a degree in in economics and finance, right? Which uh, which was that was my plan B, right? And in the course of getting that degree, um, I learned tons and tons of stuff about modeling and business, and you know, when I say modeling, I mean like financial modeling. <laughs> Modeling, modeling real world scenarios. <laughs> yeah, modeling real world scenarios mathematically and through formulas, which turns out to be incredibly useful in in games, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, all of that knowledge has come in handy as we make our games, and I use it every day as we make our games. But at the same time, that knowledge is also a fallback. If everything hits the fan, mm-hmm. you know, um, I can I can work in a variety of other fields and and be secure and safe. Right. Uh, and so you do need to think about the cost of what it is that you're doing, the cost of acquiring that degree, the financial cost, because it's real. You know, you don't know it's being real until uh, I think oftentimes until in post, you know, it's like, yeah, after college is where that reality can sink in real, real hard for people. Yeah. And you can't always bank on just randomly a chunk of your debt being forgiven. I don't, I don't know how many more times that's yeah, going to happen, kind of that, you know, um, but yeah. Well, I think the, and I think this is what like it took me a long time to understand. At, like basically, my after I was done with a very large amount of schooling, right? Which is it always felt like what school's purpose was, and like a degree program's purpose was, and stuff was to was to basically teach you like the stuff you're supposed to know, quote unquote, right? The actual about skills. something, right? But the reality is, is that no, there no such thing exists, right? There's no such set of things that you're supposed to know for any given thing, and as a consequence, if you go to any any degree program across the whole world, right? Any two programs that's, that claim to be the same thing. They're both computer science, right? Sure, there's going to be some overlaps, right? Because there's going to be commonality, right? But the thing that makes like one program great and actually prepare you for something and one terrible and not is who's teaching what, right? That's the whole, it's the whole fucking thing. And if the people there are not doing a good job of teaching or if they're teaching you stuff that just doesn't matter or if they're teaching you stuff in a way that you can't really 
adapt to the reality of post-education. Because like once you get out of education, you're not going to be like using the same approaches that you used in college, right? Like you actually can't. You're, you're yeah, you can't. It's not, that's not actually what you're supposed to be trying to do is learning how to adapt. You're not trying to learn about how stuff is, right? Because how stuff is is a moving target, and even if it wasn't, it's different in any two places. You're trying to just to learn enough ways of thinking about the world via different sort of angles on it that when you then go out to try to accomplish things and the world is chaos, then you could try to synthesize that chaos using all of these these tools you now have to actually go do stuff, right? And I think because the mistake that that I think we're all we all go through because we're all taught the same sort of idea. It's like a go to school, then you go to college, you pick a degree program so you can make money and then, you know, whatever, right? And it just, yeah, like that is the path, but the reality of it is just practically speaking much different than that because like which, because it's actually just kind of random chance, right? Like which school you get, that you get into is actually, like which school you choose to go to if you're just going to go to college, if that's just part of the plan, right? Then once you get to that school, your decision about what like major to take should be based on what the school does best, Right, because yeah. that's you, actually you're, you're what's going to set to you up. Right, adapt a bit. Yeah, yeah. You, you actually have to adapt, but that doesn't mean like, oh, well, this school's good at business and that's it. So now I have to be a business person, right? No, it means like maybe that's then because they're, they're they'll do a bunch of stuff, right? But like, you just choose one of the things that they're actually really good at. They have great programs in, but then try to diversify, right? Let's try to get into their stuff, right? And that's actually what sets you up to be able to be adaptable but also to come out with something that is the likely to likely to provide the most like fallback value no matter what happens because if people can look at that and they're like oh yeah your school is known for x you did x right then now you can go out of the job market right uh, but if you also walked away being truly adaptable because you tried lots of stuff and you just adapted to your circumstances or instead of trying to force it into what you wanted right then that'll give you the most opportunity just to go control your own life too it, it is kind of wild how much random chance there is because I'm thinking about like, why did I go into economics? Because um, like, what the f- I can't even, that was actually my, like we had one economics class in high school and I hated it. It was, it was my worst yeah. one, right? Um, actually, similarly, I took a comp sci course my first semester of college and I, I got a terrible grade in that uh, and I hated that too, right? <laughs> and so like later in college, I ended up majoring in economics uh, and then later in life, I ended up being a programmer, right? And so, like, the the randomness is so external because it's all about the the intensity and passion and excitement uh, of the professors that you end up having. And then also kind of like these just random one-off events, right? Like, maybe, maybe you were trying to get into one class, but it was full, so you instead, you know, sign up for this other course because you needed a credit, right? And then the professor in that course that you didn't even want to take and something that you thought you didn't care about is just so pumped about like, I don't know, molecular bonds. This is how I ended up doing biology with a focus in genetics was because in my third year of college, I've been doing like a broad array of stuff. I mean, mostly science stuff, but still like all over the place, you know? My third year of college, though, I had a professor in a genetics class, a collection of professors actually, who were like, like, top of their field researchers who told us at the very beginning, they're like, everything you see in this textbook is wrong, but it's the most recent textbook we have because it came out a year or two ago, right? And But it's <laughs> and all wrong like, because Ooh. we, because like, <laughs> there's no such thing as a textbook. And, and then like, and it was the first time I'd been confronted with the, with that idea of like, oh, yeah, like you actually, the whole point is to live on the edge of where you just don't know anything, right? That's actually what the goal of like a science career is, right? And, and they, and they approached that class from that sort of an angle where it was all focused on how do we know what we think we know? And actually, look, it turns out it's all just a house of cards, right? And, and, I, and like it was taught in such an interesting, compelling way. And my professors were so interesting that I just got hooked. And yep. then all of a sudden that set me on the path. But, yeah. now, but now what am I doing? Yeah. Not well, genetics, here's, here's the thing. Right? You're doing the same thing though, right? Because oh, yeah, exactly. at the, Adapting at the core, and learning and becoming – adaptable, right? Yeah. Cause what you're really trying to get out of anything is a great toolkit for, yeah. for how to, for how to solve problems and think critically. Right. Yeah. And, and you can do that with a chemistry degree, a business degree, engineering, psychology, whatever. Um, and the, the difference, the difference at the end of the day is really just then sort of like the kinds of domains of knowledge that you're touching into. And that, like the the reservoirs of knowledge that you're that you're building up to then pull from uh, as you're using your critical 
thinking skills later on, right? Uh, so as long as, you know, as long as you come out of it with that, then you're in a really good spot. But yeah, you still got, you know, you still want to be safe about it, right? Mm-hmm. And like do do something that's going to give you some some options because um, as long as you've got that toolkit, then, you know, you can, you can kind of navigate through, yeah. through whatever it is. Well, that and, I, and I do think the whole, like, the thing that we were sort of sold, like the message we were sold as kids of like, you know, choose your passion and find a way to make that happen or whatever, right? I think that's just the wrong angle, which is not to say you shouldn't go do game dev, right? Um, and like, that's, but it's to say that's that. It also assumes you have a passion. I mean, I did. Yeah, I, I did. I confused the whole time. Yeah, me neither. Like, yeah. But yeah, I was just... I was just trying to figure out like, cause I, cause what I thought is like, there were, there's just real stuff about the world. And I got to go figure it out. And then at some point it'll, it'll be obvious was like, the, that's like the vibe yep, we're getting. That's the right? message, yeah. uh, but the reality is, is that it doesn't fucking matter what you do as long as you end up enjoying it and can survive doing it. Right. Because everything is interesting. It, it, you could pick the most, like, there's all the things that people are like, oh, accounting is so boring. There's like these classic things where everyone's just like, that's the boring shit, right? Or statistics, right? You deep dive into any of that shit, fucking fascinating, right? It's all, it's all so interesting, but any given thing is not going to be necessarily your thing, right? Yeah. But if you've pre-decided what your thing is because you had to have a thing, right, then you don't actually have the opportunity to just, like, adapt to the reality of what life actually is, which is just pure chaos driven <laughs> trajectories, right? Cause like if because if I had actually just stayed on my path of like, because at some point in college I was like, all right, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be a like a, a molecular biology researcher, right? And uh or at that time I was a geneticist, right? But when I was visiting grad schools to go like talk to professors, right? I just happened to be standing in line with these two professors and started chatting with them about what they what they work on, you know. And it was weird like mathematical modeling of of cell biology stuff and nothing I'd ever thought about my whole life. And it didn't hit my skill sets because at that time I, I was like teaching myself programming, but I was like a year in and didn't know, you know, anything really. But I was like, well, this sounds cool. And they were telling, they were describing their team and it was like, oh yeah, our postdocs, we got like a, an electrical engineer and a, and a computer scientist and a mathematician is like their, their lab. And I was like, okay, I didn't know this was a kind of thing that existed, but and I don't know what I would do in this context, but like For I sure. should go get in that context, you know? And so, so then I did. I ended up in that lab and just learned the weirdest collection of shit, right? And it was fucking rad, right? And that the, – it was like the fact that I was standing in line, yep. it, right? And talking to yep. those people <laughs> is literally the only, only reason that my life has ended up where it is today, Right. And it was because, like, I, I didn't come into it being like, I need to find the best genetics person because I want to be a geneticist, right? It was because I was, like, I was ready to adapt to whatever interesting thing presented itself, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that is the thing that ideally you try to get out of just life in general. But especially, like, to me, the whole purpose of a liberal arts education is supposed to be that. It's supposed to be learn a broad array of stuff from a perspective of how to think about that stuff, not how the, because like high school, like all of your schooling up until college is basically a whole bunch of just fucking wrong claims about how the world is, right? Mm -hmm. They just say, here's how the world is. They tell you a whole bunch of stuff and it's all wrong, right? And then in college, you're supposed to then be taught, here's how to think about all of the things so that you understand why they're all wrong, like why these simple answers are just not correct and like how to approach problems, right? In a broad way. But because everything becomes focused on like the degree program and getting a job afterwards, right? Then it all ends up getting funneled again through like, here's how it is, right? And uh, you'll be the most able to adapt to the world around you that actually exists if you truly do the broad thing and focus on how to think about it, not the specifics of what you're actually doing in the moment. Mm -hmm. So I guess to kind of pull it all together, I guess our recommendation would be get as diverse a knowledge base as you can, right? And use that college opportunity to try to uh, develop a a great toolkit of critical thinking and problem solving Mm -hmm. while also still focusing on on a foundational knowledge and, and at least something that is like useful and, you know, more specific but don't do that at the exclusion of everything else. Like don't yeah. close yourself and more, off. From and more thing. accurately, it's not about it being useful. It's about other people out in the world who are going to provide economic opportunities to you finding it useful. Right? Yeah, exactly. That's actually, yeah. Because yeah. everything is, like Adam said, everything is interesting and useful, but not everything is treated the same in the marketplace. Right. So, and in fact, so things that's that are a reality as, as really high yeah. value, like 
just aren't, you know, like the fact is like most of finance stuff, it, it's value is only created because people decided it's valuable, right? It doesn't actually do anything useful, but that's yep. the most valuable thing you can get. So it's not about utility. It's about, well, it's not about real utility because none of this is real. This is all imaginary shit, right? That we're all yeah. as people just making up together. So it's about like. Yeah, we learned a lot about what an essential job is over the past couple of years. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and uh, almost none of those essential jobs require a college degree, as yeah. it turns out, yeah. <laughs> to actually keep the, keep the world running. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. It's it's pretty wild out there. But yeah, uh, at the very least, just like don't don't wait. Uh, if you yeah. if you want to make games, make games um, and and don't don't wait around for a degree program to, you know. To hand one to you. Or until you're so. ready, because you just aren't. Yeah. yeah. Well, and if you do <laughs> learn something specific, and I think actually the best, like the best thing I took away from my own academic path was that if there's ever anything I want to learn, I literally can just go learn it. There's there's just stuff out there. And especially like these days with the quality of shit you can find on like YouTube, you know, like there for anything you want to know, there's some fucking genius person who is like dedicated hundreds of hours of their life to like constructing an amazing learning experience. They just get, they're just giving it to you on YouTube, right? For anything. So if there's ever anything you want to learn, like, because I think that's, that's, that's the key thing is, it's just the curiosity. It's just being like, there isn't a way the world is. There's just a whole bunch of questions. And then the interesting stuff is when you're on those edges where there aren't any real answers, there's just people doing their best and like exploring that space. Like when you learn how to do that. Um, and yeah, honestly, I think a college degree is a marketing gimmick that we all have to go through <laughs> to get jobs, you know? Um, yeah, but they do but like a good institution. Yeah, part of it. it does actually expose you to really smart people. Lots of them, right? Lots of really smart people who also are your your uh, classmates, right? You'll learn a lot from them too, and maybe even more, right? Uh, it's basically a trying to identify from what things you can actually learn stuff. And again, it doesn't matter what it is; it matters how it's being presented and who's doing it and how into it they are, because that's because all infer like all knowledge and all learning is basically transferable. Right. It's all mm-hmm. just patterns and like how to think kind of stuff. And so if you focus on opportunities that present themselves to you that live in that domain, it's not about the specifics of what it is, it's about how it's being done. That's how you that's how you can walk away and just be ready for the chaos of the real world. Mm-hmm. That's what you need. Yeah. So I uh, hope that's helpful. You know, it's a lot, but I hope it's helpful. <laughs> Uh, and that's all the time we have for this week. Uh, we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Sapa DaCosta, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye.